0: Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you can be with us this Wednesday. Uh, Dr. Cindy Parker, I think it's going to be exceptional. Uh, it's good to be with you all this morning. And um, quite honestly, it's a, a little bit bittersweet. And uh, this this morning, this is my last Sunday with Genesis Church. And I hope you're not hearing that for the first time. We tried to communicate that in a number of different ways. But uh, But today is is my last day on staff here, and I just, I thought maybe I'd share with you a little bit of the journey that I've been on leading up to today. It seems like it was uh, quite a while ago, and yet not long at all. Uh, Last fall, I was having a conversation with a pastor friend of mine. He serves up in Tipton. He served at, at his church for 20 years. He's retirement age now, and he said, Ben, what would you think about uh, coming on staff with me, we could serve side by side for a couple of years, and then I would hand you the lead pastor role uh, at, at my church. And I was honored. I, I was flattered. I thought, there's, uh, there's no way I'm equipped to do that. But we agreed to, to talk and to have a conversation. And, and the more that we talked and, and prayed and met with their team and prayed some more. Um, Beth Ann and I just felt like it, it became very clear that this was what God had next for us. And honestly, it's been one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had to make uh, because we certainly love this church and uh, we love you, the people. We love our leadership. We love our staff. Paul can be a lot to handle sometimes. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I love Paul. And I know that he loves me too, and he's shown that in a number of ways. And we've been here for for quite some time. I I started with Genesis Church 20 years ago in 2003, and uh, I was 26 years old, and I didn't know anything about anything. And uh, the church hired me anyway. They took a chance on me, and I'm so glad they did. Um, They hired me as uh, the worship pastor back then. Some of you remember those days. And I served in that role for about seven years. In 2010, my wife and I moved to Michigan for a different ministry assignment, only to come back to Genesis in 2013 in a a different role. And so for about 17 of the last 20 years, this has been our our church home. This has been our family. Uh, We raised our kids here. We watched a number of you raise your kids here and I just feel incredibly blessed to have served here at Genesis Church for all of that time. And, and I just want to say uh, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to serve as uh, one of your pastors and, uh, and also just, just to be able to be a, a normal guy and uh, the friendships that I've been able to build here where I've never felt like I have to be one person on Sunday and a different person throughout the week. Uh, you've, you've allowed me just to be Ben <laughs> and uh, to serve as, as your pastor has been a huge blessing. So thank you for that. I do want you to know we're not planning on moving. Uh, I can be to the new church in Tipton in just over 20 minutes or so. The drive's not bad at all, so we plan on staying in our home here in Noblesville. We'll probably still run into you at the grocery store from time to time, and I'll still hide when I see some of you at the grocery store from time (laughs) to time, but you won't know it because I'm really good at hiding, so. Uh, so thank you. Okay, so now, I, now I'm going to preach. that Would be all right? <laughs> I don't know who decided this would be a good idea, but here we go. Last week, we kicked off a, uh, a new series that we're titling Scent, and we're studying through the book of Acts. And what we saw last week was that Acts picks up right where the Gospels leave off. And uh, Acts details for us how the first followers of Jesus and how the first church operated in the world. And so last Sunday, Paul taught from Acts chapter 1, and we read about the last moments that Jesus had with his disciples here on earth before he ascended up into heaven, and we talked about the mission that Jesus gave his followers to go out and to make disciples, and we saw that it's that same mission that Christ has given to us. As followers of Jesus, we still have a very important role to play in the world and in the work that God is doing here. Genesis Church is here in this community for a very specific purpose. Our mission is helping people find their way back to God. And because that's our mission, and because like the disciples in the book of Acts, we've been sent by God, we need to make sure that we are faithfully doing our part. And so that's what this series is all about. So if you brought a Bible today, I want to invite you to open it to the book of Acts. Uh, We'll be in Acts chapter 2 for most of the morning. If you didn't bring a Bible and you want to follow along, there are some on the table in the back of the room. You're you're welcome to grab one of those. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take one of those and to keep it as your own. It's our gift to you. But Acts chapter 2 is where we'll be spending most of our time today. Now, just a quick review from last week. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus and his followers gathered on the Mount of Olives. Uh, This was just a short walk away from the temple as seen in this photo. Uh, This this photo was taken from the vantage point of the Mount of Olives. Do we have that picture, Kip? No? Well, it's awesome. You should see it. (laughs) I wish you could see it. It's been 40 days uh, since Jesus was resurrected, and uh, he's about to ascend into heaven, but not before telling his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift the Father had promised. What was that gift? Jesus was talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had taught his disciples uh, about the coming of the Spirit 40 days previous on the night of his betrayal. You can read about it in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, where he told his disciples that he was going away, that he was going to send them another helper and that it would actually be better for them because this helper, the Holy Spirit, would be with them and would live inside of them. And so now in Acts chapter 1, he's telling them it's close. The gift is coming. I want you to wait for it. Don't leave Jerusalem. And then in Acts 1.8, he tells them why. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Okay, Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And that word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. Dunamis is a word that means a a mighty force or a miraculous power. It's actually where we get our English word dynamite. And Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes, the disciples would receive this this mighty, miraculous power of God in their lives. And he points to the purpose of that power when he says, you will be my witnesses. And you know what a witness is. A witness is, is someone who gives testimony about the things that they've seen and the things that they've experienced in their life. And Jesus says, I'm gonna put my presence, my Holy Spirit inside of you, and he's going to give you power to be my witnesses to the end of the earth, okay? So Jesus gave them this promise. He told them not to leave Jerusalem until it happened. And by the time we get to Acts chapter two, Jesus has ascended into heaven and 10 more days pass And here's what we read in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now let's talk about Pentecost for just a minute. Okay, a lot of people think that Pentecost is something new that started in the book of Acts, but in reality, the Jewish people have been celebrating Pentecost for centuries. Pentecost was one of a a number of different feasts and festivals and holidays that the Jewish people celebrated every year And these are all detailed out in Leviticus 23 If uh, later you want to look that up and, and see what it says Leviticus 23 is where it's prescribed But three of those feasts happen within the span of a week Okay, you have the Passover the feast of unleavened bread and then first fruits Interestingly, Jesus was betrayed on the night of the Passover. He was crucified the next day at the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he rose again on the third day, which was when the the offering of first fruits was to be made. I think Dr. Cindy Parker is going to connect some of those dots for us in the book of Acts and these feasts on Wednesday. Again, I hope you'll be here. You won't want to miss that. But seven weeks after the first fruits came the Feast of Weeks, okay? In Hebrew, it's the word Shavuot, and in Greek, it's known as Pentecost. That word Pentecost literally means 50th. The feast is named for being 50 days after First Fruits. And it's a one day celebration focused on thanking the Lord for his provision. And it was a day specifically to remember everything God had done for the Israelites in saving them from Egyptian slavery and leading them to Mount Sinai. Now, Exodus 19 and 20 describe Mount Sinai as the place where God established his covenant with Moses and with the Israelites. It was at Mount Sinai that God gave them the Ten Commandments and he gave them all of his law. And we're told that at Mount Sinai, it it was covered with a cloud, that God consumed it with a cloud. And there was lightning and there was thunder and there was billowing smoke as the Lord descended on the mountain in fire to meet with Moses to give him the law and the Ten Commandments. And during the celebration of Pentecost, the priests would read this account from Exodus and they would remind the people of this event. I want you to keep all of that in mind as we read these first few verses from Acts chapter two. Continuing on, it says, "'When the day of Pentecost came, "'they were all together in one place. "'Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind "'came from heaven and filled the whole house "'where they were sitting.'" They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So just as God's presence on Mount Sinai was marked with fire, now God was making his presence known at Pentecost with tongues of fire resting on the people. And just like at Mount Sinai where God gave his people the gift of his law, now he's giving on Pentecost his gift of the Holy Spirit. And the text says the disciples were filled with the spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit enabled them. We're going to see the significance of that as we keep reading in just a second. But understand God was doing something new and something powerful in his people through the power of his Holy Spirit. Remember that Jesus had told his disciples that they would be witnesses to the ends of the earth when the spirit came. Watch what happens in verse five. It says now they were staying in Jerusalem god-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven when they heard this sound a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken utterly amazed they asked aren't all these who are speaking galileans then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language Now, these Jews from every nation had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. The city would have been just bursting with people, just shoulder-to-shoulder people, all from their various countries and cities. And God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, supernaturally enabled the disciples to speak in in foreign languages. And at the end of verse 11, the the crowd says, we hear them talking about the wonders of God in our own tongues. Okay, so God is enabling the disciples to speak in languages they've never spoken before. And all of these people gathered from every nation under heaven are hearing the disciples speak in their own languages. And verse 12 says, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? They knew something special was happening and they were trying to make sense of it. The text says they were amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? And knowing this, Peter, who's now filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, begins to preach. His sermon is recorded there in Acts chapter two, verses 14 through 36. For the sake of time this morning, I'm just going to summarize it for you. Okay, Peter stands up in front of the people and he essentially says, God sent his son Jesus to save you from your sins. You didn't believe him. In fact, you rejected his message and you crucified him, but God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Savior and Lord. Okay, that's the Notes version. I want you to read the entire thing for yourself, but that's essentially what Peter says. And the people's response is amazing. We read it in verse 37 that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? In verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now this is amazing because Peter himself has just received the gift of the Holy Spirit right? It's just happened. And now Peter is telling the crowd that, that they can be forgiven and they can be saved by putting their trust in Jesus and that they too can have the gift that he has just received. And the crowd's response is amazing. In verse 41, we read, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. 3,000 people heard Peter's message and responded in obedience to Christ and were saved that day. Now again, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told his disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came. And he told them that that power would allow them to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. And here in Acts chapter 2, just 10 days later, just as Jesus had told them, the Spirit came The disciples received power and the immediate result was 3,000 new believers from every nation under heaven. God made it abundantly clear right from the beginning that the Holy Spirit is the power behind the church. That's the main point I want you to grasp this morning, that the Holy Spirit is the power behind the church. The church is not intended to run on human power. We don't rely on our own strength. We don't rely on our own wisdom or our own creativity. We rely on the powerful Holy Spirit of God. And the reason why you and I are here today and the reason why the gospel message at some point 2,000 years later made it to your ears and to mine is because the Holy Spirit empowered these first believers to take Christ's message to the very ends of the earth. It started at Pentecost with 3,000 people from every nation and it only grew from there. But the Holy Spirit was the power behind it all. So in the time that we have left today, I want to share with you three specific ways that the Holy Spirit empowers his church even today, okay? Three ways that he empowers us today. The first is exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2, and it's that the Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. The Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. It's important for us to remember as we read in in Acts chapter 2 that the crowd that was gathered there at Pentecost most likely included people who had celebrated Jesus' death just a few weeks earlier, and likely even those who had had, uh, been responsible for sending Jesus to the cross. They were likely there in the crowd. So for Peter and the disciples to be publicly aligning themselves with Christ was no small thing. Okay, this could have very easily ended in the disciples themselves being arrested and tortured and killed. And let's also not forget that this is the same Peter who earlier had denied even knowing Jesus, right? Not just once, but three times he denied knowing Jesus to save his own life. But now here's Peter standing up boldly in front of the crowd and and he's preaching the gospel and he's calling the people to repentance and to faith. So what is it that led to this incredible turnaround for Peter? Well, I think two things are important here. The first uh, was Jesus's post-resurrection invitation for Peter to rejoin the ministry. Some of you who were with us last year as we read through the book of John will remember this from John 21 that after uh, Jesus was crucified, Peter decides he's going to go fishing. He takes a few of the disciples with him, and he's out fishing. And this is where Jesus finds him after his resurrection. And he has an interaction with Peter where he gently restores Peter back to the work of making disciples. And I, I think that's the first thing that changed Peter, was the fact that Jesus would invite him back in. But the second thing was obviously the gift that Jesus has now given him and the power that Peter received from the Holy Spirit, because all of a sudden, here he is standing once again before the the people who could take his life, the people who took Jesus's life and could take his own life, but this time he goes from Peter the denier to Peter the bold, and you can't shut him up. You can't make him stop talking. He's not afraid anymore, and he's on mission to share the good news of Jesus no matter what. And folks, I'm here to tell you this morning that those two realities for Peter, his invitation back into the ministry and the power he received from the Spirit, those things are no different for you and me. If you surrendered your life to Jesus, you are part of his family, you are part of his church, and, and part of surrendering to Christ is an understanding that you will join him on his mission, that you will be an ambassador for Christ on the earth, pleading with people, come back to God be reconciled to God. And the moment you surrender your life to Christ, his powerful Holy Spirit moves into your heart and he will empower you to engage boldly with people in your life who are far from him. And, and you may be thinking as you hear me say that, well, that, that's just not me, right? I, that's not me at all, I, I can't do that, I'm not that kind of person, I wouldn't know what to say, I don't talk right, whatever it might be, whatever it might be about you, that you think is is insufficient. But here's the thing, it's not about you. And it's not about me. This isn't about our giftedness or our ability or our power. It's about what God can do through us, through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he wants to give you boldness to share the life-giving message of Jesus with people who are far from him. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. Secondly, is this the Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome weakness. The Holy Spirit gives us power to overcome weakness. Paul actually wrote about this later in his book of Second Corinthians. It's in chapter twelve where he talks about his own weakness. And we're not ever told what his weakness was. People speculate about what it might have been, but we do know that, that Paul referred to it as a thorn in his flesh. He refers to it as a messenger from Satan. So, so we know, like, that's strong language, right? This was something significant in Paul's life that he saw as a, as a weakness, as a hindrance to his life and to his ministry. And he begged God to take it from him. But I want you to see God's response to Paul in verse 9. It says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And here's what I want you to see. When we come to the end of our strength when we've given it everything we got and we realize it's still not enough, the Holy Spirit is strong where we are weak. He gives us power in our weakness. Wherever you are weak today, the Holy Spirit has power for you. Parents in the room, maybe you're thinking, I am not cut out for this. I'm not cut out for this role of parenting. I feel like I'm ruining my kids' lives and they are driving me crazy. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit can give you power for that. He can give you wisdom. He can give you patience. He can give you discernment. Ask him for it. And where you are weak, he has power for you. Some of you may be in a situation at work right now. And you may be thinking, man, I I can't endure this one more day. I'm not cut out for this. I can't handle this. But God's word says that we can actually boast in our weaknesses because where we are weak, Christ can be strong. Rely on the Holy Spirit. He has power for you. Students, maybe some of you have something going on at school right now, some situation that that just seems impossible, it seems overwhelming to you, and you feel weak. You feel unable to move forward. I want you to know that the Holy Spirit can give you power. Ask him for it and trust him for it. The Spirit's power is made perfect in weakness so that we can declare like Paul, when I am weak, then I am strong. The Holy Spirit gives us power to share Christ boldly. He gives us power to overcome weakness and finally this. The Holy Spirit gives us power to overflow with hope. He gives us power to overflow with hope. Maybe you came in here today and you're feeling hopeless in some area of your life. I want to share one last passage with you from the book of Romans, and I want you to hear what Paul points to as the source of our hope. In Romans fifteen thirteen, he writes this, "'May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace "'as you trust in him, "'so that you may overflow with hope "'by the power of the Holy Spirit.'" Folks, one of the ways that the Holy Spirit uses his power in the life of believers is to constantly be filling us with hope. He's constantly reminding us to fix our eyes, not on what is seen and temporary, but on what is unseen and eternal. He helps us to focus our hearts on the fact that our reward is coming and it's coming soon. But I want you to notice that it starts with trusting in God. Paul uses that phrase, as you trust in him, right? It's as we trust in him that we overflow with this hope. So if I'm not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit overflowing hope in my life, then I probably need to ask, what am I putting my trust in? Where am I putting my trust? Because misplaced trust will always rob us of the Spirit's power to overflow hope. Let me say that again. Misplaced trust will always rob us of the Spirit's power to overflow hope. For instance, if if you decide you're gonna put your trust in money, you'll never experience overflowing hope because you'll never have enough. You'll always want more. There'll always be something else that that you desire. It won't lead to hope. If you trust in relationships, that, that won't lead to overflowing hope because people will let you down. If you trust in your health or you trust in your career, you trust in anything else to provide you hope, it can never produce. The only way to experience overflowing hope in your life is to put your trust in God and to allow the Holy Spirit to provide hope for you. I want you to know that whatever you're going through right now, the Holy Spirit of God can give you power to overflow with hope. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the bad situation will go away. It doesn't necessarily mean that the relationship is going to be fixed. It doesn't necessarily mean that the problem will resolve, but it means that you can have power to rise above all of that as God gives you joy and peace in the midst of it. And as you trust in him, you will overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. Folks, I want to go back to my opening statement as we wrap up this morning, that the Holy Spirit is the power behind the church. Because I want to make sure that that you understand that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's you. You are the church. The church is not a building. The church is not a location. If you are in Christ, you are the church and you have been given the powerful gift of the Holy Spirit. And he will give you power to share Christ boldly. He will give you power in your weakness. And he will give you power to overflow with hope. But understand this, it will never happen so long as we are just focusing on and operating in our own strength. If you are trying to live the Christian life by your own power, I'm here to tell you it's not going to work. It's not gonna work. And maybe you've already come to that realization. If that's you, your next move is just to confess that to the Lord today and just tell him, God, I've been living on my own limited power. I've been trusting in something other than you, but I'm ready to be done with that. I wanna live by your spirit. I wanna experience your spirit's power in my life. I want you to know his spirit's power is available to you today. Ask him for it. Or maybe you're here today and you're hearing all of this this morning and you've never put your trust in Christ. You've been living your own way, you've been doing your own thing, but maybe you're finding that that's leaving you hopeless and wanting. Maybe you're, you're hoping that there's something more than, than just doing your own thing and going your own way. If that's you, I want you to know the gospel message is clear. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. We are all sinners. And the wages of sin is death. That's what we all deserve is death because of our sin. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, I want you to know you can have new life today. And God will forgive you of every sin, every wrong you've ever committed. And just like the believers in Acts chapter two, you can receive the gift of the powerful Holy Spirit and he will give you the power to live your new Christian life. If you want to talk more about receiving that gift and giving your life to Christ, we'd love to talk with you after the service today. But Genesis Church, my prayer for you is this that you will always be a church that is empowered by and led by and obedient to the powerful Holy Spirit of God, that each of you individually would experience his power in your lives to share Christ boldly, his power to overcome weakness, and his power to overflow with hope in your life. Let's put our trust in him alone and let's live in light of his power even today. Let me pray for us. Father God, We are so thankful that you are a God of love, that you are a God who loved us while we were still your enemies, that you gave your one and only son to save us, and that we have hope because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, you said it's better for you that I go away because when the spirit comes, he will be with you and he will live in you. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of your powerful Holy Spirit. Thank you for the way that that he produces hope inside of us, the way that he gives us power in our weakness, the way that he empowers us to, to live the Christian life and to speak boldly for Christ. Lord, if there are those here this morning who are recognizing they're trying to live the Christian life in their own strength, I pray that you would help us to see that, help us to see the areas where we've not tapped into your power, Lord, that we would be done with living on our own strength today and that instead we would look to your spirit for power. Lord, I pray for those who have never put their trust in Christ, that maybe today would be the day that they take a bold step and surrender their life to you, and they would experience this power for the very first time. Father, we want to be obedient to you in this. We want to follow where you're leading. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's name that we pray this morning. Amen.